Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey everyone, I'm Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you value the show as a free educational resource, you can show your support by going to patreon.com slash words for granted. For as little as a buck a month, which is less than what you pay for a bad cup of coffee, you'll gain access to bonus episodes and ad-free episodes. You can also support the podcast by becoming a member on the Himalaya app. Last but not least, you can also make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash words for granted. Thanks to Pilha, Susanna, Thembi, and Pranati for their recent contributions. All right, let's get on to today's episode, part two in a series on common English nouns derived from ethnic groups. In the previous episode in this series, we looked at the many distinct usages of the word goth over the course of two millennia. While the word began as the name of a Germanic tribe, during the Renaissance, the descriptor Gothic was applied to a style of art and architecture that had nothing to do with the historical Goths. It was a pejorative term that was partly founded on the misconception that the Goths were in fact responsible for the style of art and architecture that today we identify as Gothic. Confusing, I know, but the point is that sometimes misnomers stick. When we get history wrong, we're bound to get words wrong too. Well, more accurately, we're bound to reinvent words since words don't actually have fixed meanings. The evolution of the word bohemian, which is the topic of today's episode, is another perfect example of how misunderstanding the past can shape the meanings of words used in the present. So let's dive in. As a common noun, bohemian means something like a socially unconventional person, especially one who is a vagabond or involved in the arts. At the highest level of generalization, the way we've arrived at this definition can be summed up in two sentences. In France, bohemian was used as a word for gypsy, more on the political incorrectness of that term later in this episode, based on the belief that gypsies migrated to Western Europe from Bohemia, a region in the western part of the modern Czech Republic. In the 19th century, French artists living in the Latin Quarter of Paris came to be called Bohemians because of their carefree and impoverished gypsy-like lifestyle. So, straightforward enough. However, there's so much more to this story than meets the eye, especially when you flesh it out over the course of two millennia and a handful of languages. Our story starts with an ancient Celtic tribe called the Boy, a group of people that has nothing to do with the inhabitants of the modern region of Bohemia or the artsy nonconformists who, incidentally, inherited the region's name. The journey down the rabbit hole begins now. The boy first appear in the written record during the 4th century BCE. Like so many of the ancient peoples we've discussed on this podcast, 
The boy are not documented in their own native written record, but rather in the Roman written record. However, boy itself is indeed a Celtic-derived word, and it's probably the name by which the tribe called itself. Based on two different but equally compelling proto-Celtic linguistic reconstructions, etymologists have proposed that the literal meaning of boy was either herder, as in someone who herds cows, or warrior. The earliest boy of the Roman written record lived in Cisalpine Gaul, the historically Celtic region of northern Italy, during the 4th and 3rd centuries BCE. This region included the modern Italian city of Bologna, which is worth mentioning because Bononia, the Latin word for Bologna, likely derives from the tribal name of the boy. Over the course of these two centuries, the boy had a tumultuous relationship with the Romans. They fought against them for control of the Po Valley and assisted Hannibal during the Punic Wars, but by the 220s BCE, the Italian boy territory was conquered by the Romans and absorbed into the Roman Republic. After this Roman annexation, the northern Italian boy fled eastward along the Danube River and resettled in the region that would come to be known as Bohemia. The Latin word boiuhemum, the earliest recorded form of the word Bohemia used in reference to the region, appears in the work of 1st century CE Roman writers such as Tacitus, Pliny, and Strabo. The word boiohemum comprises the roots boi, the tribal name of the boy people, and haimas, meaning home. Interestingly, that word haimas is neither a Latin nor a Celtic root word, but a Germanic one, and it's cognate with the English word house. I should also mention that Bavaria, a modern state in southeastern Germany that borders western Bohemia, also derives its name from the boy, and the place name dates back to roughly the same time period. Literally, Bavaria means the boy settlers, indicating that the eastern boy settlement also included part of modern-day Germany. When Pliny and Strabo refer to Boyuhemum, they call it a Bohemian desert, because by the mid-first century BCE, many boy men had left their home to join the Helveti, a fellow Celtic tribe to the west, in an unsuccessful war against Julius Caesar. Naturally, this led to a sparse population whose number continued to wane, hence the comparison to a desert. Around the turn of the Common Era, the Germanic Macromani tribe conquered and settled in this Bohemian desert, finding little resistance from the few boy warriors who still remained in the homeland. Shortly after the Germanic takeover of Bohemia, the boy people would disappear from history, and the Macromani formed a powerful confederation that would go on to fight several wars against Rome along the Danube River. However, even though the ethno-cultural makeup of the Bohemian homeland had shifted, the Latin name for the region remained the same. Over 2,000 years later, that name, Bohemia, is still familiar to us today. Which is remarkable, since the boy tribe, the people after whom Bohemia is named, haven't actually lived there for 2,000 years. And, for that matter, neither have their Germanic Macromani successors. As already mentioned, the region of Bohemia is today part of the country of the Czech Republic, a country founded not by Germanic Macromani, but by the Czechs. Czechs are neither Celtic nor Germanic, but Slavic. 
The Slavic migrations into Bohemia took place over the course of the 6th and 7th century CE, resulting in another cultural, ethnic, and linguistic makeover in the boys' former homeland. As we know, in Western Europe, that ancient name Bohemia, home of the boy, stubbornly hung on. At various points during the medieval and early modern eras, the ethnically Czech state was variously known as the Bohemian lands, the Duchy of Bohemia, the Kingdom of Bohemia, lands of the Bohemian crown, the Bohemian crown, and others. Now, you might be wondering, did the Czechs stick with that Latinized and antiquated name for their homeland in their own language? The first answer to that question is no, they did not. The Czech word for the region of Bohemia is Čechi, and it always has been. Čechi is what linguists call an endonym, that is, a group of people's self-designated term for itself or its homeland. In contrast, Bohemia is an exonym, that is, a term for a group of people or their homeland used by those outside of the group. As you might have guessed, Čechi is directly derived from the name of the Czechs themselves. Though the ultimate etymology of Czech is unknown, it's traditionally derived from the name of a mythical military chief. The Czech name for the Czech Republic, Česká Republika, is obviously cognate with the Czech name for Bohemia, but although they share a common root word, they're not exactly the same word, and that's because Bohemia, or Čechi, is merely a part of the Czech Republic. The modern Czech Republic comprises three historical regions, Bohemia, Moravia, and Czech Silesia, which is why referring to all of the Czech Republic as Bohemia, as is sometimes colloquially the case in English, is both geographically and politically inaccurate in the modern world. Now, the second answer to the question, did the Czechs stick with that Latinized and antiquated name for their homeland in their own language, is sort of. Although Bohemia is an exonym, or outsider's term, for the region that the Czechs call Čechi, the term Bohemia is embraced by Czechs and is to some degree interchangeable with Čechi. Often, exonyms have a derisive connotation, but historically, the term Bohemia was never used against the Czechs as an insult. The word Bohemia has such a long and significant history that it's equally part of the Czech lexicon as the native word Čechi. Now that we've learned a bit about the region of Bohemia and its etymology, let's turn to the word Bohemian with a lowercase b, as in someone who lives a nonconformist and stereotypically artistic life. To fully understand how this sense of the word evolved, sorry, but we need to turn yet again to the ancient world, this time with our focus on a completely different people on a completely different continent. Around 1500 years ago, a Northwest Indian ethnic subgroup began a gradual westward migration out of the Indian subcontinent and into Persia and Europe. Today, this group is broadly known as the Romani people, sometimes the Roma people. Despite its similarity to the word Roman, there are no etymological, cultural, or ethnic connections between the Romani and the Romans. The Romani endonym, again, the name by which an ethnic group calls itself, derives from the Sanskrit root doma, meaning of a low caste. And as the Romani spread west, they carried this low social status with them. 
They never settled down and established a fixed homeland, which perpetuated prejudices against them as tricksters, tinkerers, and vagabonds throughout much of European civilization. By the early 17th century, the Romani had made their way to England, and in English, they came to be known as gypsies. As it turns out, the word gypsy evolved from Egyptian, originally a shortened form of the word Egyptian, because the gypsies, more correctly called the Romani, were mistakenly believed to have come from Egypt. In 1530, England passed something called the Egyptians Act that sought to expel the Romani people from the country. Given its genealogical inaccuracy and xenophobic history, nowadays the term gypsy is considered pejorative and has fallen out of politically correct usage. By the 19th century, the Romani had become a significant minority in France. The French didn't think that the Romani had come from Egypt, but rather from Bohemia. So, in French, the Romani came to be known as Bohemian, or Bohemians. Excuse the bad French accent. But why did the French think that they'd come from Bohemia? The most popular answer to this question is almost certainly not true, and I'd like to share it with you. It goes something like this. When a group of Romani arrived in Bohemia in the mid-15th century, after a long history of dealing with European prejudices, they found an ally in the Bohemian king Zygmunt. Zygmunt wrote a letter to the Bohemian people on behalf of the Romani, encouraging native Bohemians to accept the Romani as their brethren and neighbors. This letter was a landmark moment in the history of the Romani because they'd never received such amiable and official recognition from a European state, and Romani leaders proudly carried this letter around with them everywhere they went. That is, if the letter were actually real, which it probably isn't. Over the course of my research for this episode, I found several articles about the etymology of Bohemian that claim that this letter is authentic. These articles paint the letter as a seminal historical moment, but none of them actually give a citation of the letter's primary source. There's even a full version of this alleged letter floating around the internet, but you don't need to be a medieval literary scholar to get a sense that it's a 20th or 21st century fabrication. I've looked into several scholarly biographies of King Zuckmund and Romani history, and there's not a peep about this supposed letter. There are even more holes in the legend of Zygmunt's letter. Purporters of the letter legend claim that the Romani migrated to France from Bohemia en masse in the 19th century, but the reality is that Romani people had gradually spread into France beginning in as early as the 17th century, and the French word bohemian dates back to this earlier century. Furthermore, Romani were officially expelled from Bohemia in the 17th century by the Bohemian king Ferdinand I because they were accused of starting a series of devastating fires in Prague, the Bohemian capital. If the Romani migrated straight from Bohemia to France, it would have been in the 17th century, not the 19th century. So, hopefully that busts a common myth regarding the etymology of Bohemia. As for how the French actually came to identify the Romani as Bohemians, I don't know. The sources that don't subscribe to Zygmunt's letter generally make the nonchalant remark that the French mistakenly believed that the Romani came from Bohemia, but say nothing more about the origins of this mistaken belief. One possibility is that it might not be a mistaken belief. 
Some of the Romani who migrated to France very well could have originated in Bohemia, but we have no concrete evidence to prove it. Accepting that we may never know how the French association between the Romani and Bohemia came to be, we can move on with our story and turn to something we do know. That is, how Bohemian developed into a generic term describing a carefree, unconventional artistic lifestyle. While Bohemian is indeed attested in French since the 1600s, the word's semantic divorce from the Romani people didn't come until two centuries later. In the early 1840s, particularly in the Latin Quarter of Paris, many painters, writers, and poets lived in poverty in pursuit of their arts, and these artists and their lifestyle came to be known as Bohemian. By extension, the Parisian Latin Quarter came to be known synonymously as Bohemia. It's not clear whether Bohemian was a term of disparagement used by the bourgeoisie or if it was deliberately appropriated by these unconventional artists, but Regardless, the metaphor is clear. Bohemian artists, like the Romani people from whom their name derives, were social outcasts who were looked down upon by the upper class and society generally. Both groups were poor, thrifty, and celebrated art as a way of life. However, the parallels aren't perfect for one glaring reason. Artistic Bohemians were part of a self-initiated counterculture movement, while the actual Bohemians, or Romani were, and still are, an ethnic minority group who have suffered prejudice and persecution over the course of more than a thousand years. Furthermore, the Bohemian lifestyle quickly became attractive to youths who didn't actually come from poor families, thus introducing a contradiction to the original meaning of the term Bohemian. More on this contradiction in just a bit. In 1851, French writer Henri Murgy published a collection of short stories called La Vie de Bohème, or Scenes of Bohemian Life. To clarify the difference between Bohemians, that is, the Romani, and the newly emerging group of artistic Bohemians, he writes in the preface of his work, long quote, The Bohemians of whom it is a question in this book have no connection with the Bohemians whom melodramatists have rendered synonymous with robbers and assassins. Neither are they recruited from among the dancing bear leaders, sword swallowers, guilt watch guard vendors, street lottery keepers, and a thousand other vague and mysterious professionals whose main business is to have no business at all, and who are always ready to turn their hands to anything except good. End quote. That second unflattering sentence is in reference to the Romani, a veritable slap in the face to the people from whom the name of his subject matter derives. In the less politically correct social climate of the 19th century, this line didn't attract much attention, and Scenes of Bohemian Life went on to become the quintessential literary work depicting Bohemian life in 19th century France. In the decades, and really centuries since the publication of Mouji's work, it spawned a number of international adaptations and offshoots such as Puccini's massively popular La Bohème in 1896 and Kalman's Das Valken von Montmartre in 1930. More recently, it served as the basis of Jonathan Larson's little-known 1996 musical Rent. Bohemian as a common noun affiliated with an artistic and unconventional lifestyle first appears in English in 1848 in William Makepeace Thackeray's novel Vanity Fair. That's 
three years before the publication of La Vie de Bohème in French, which indicates that the French sense of Bohème that had emerged earlier in that decade was already known throughout Europe, even before Mouji's popular work was published. However, Vanity Fair is a panorama of mid-19th century English society, not a portrait of Bohemian life. The most vivid literary depiction of Bohemian life in English came later in the century in the 1895 novel Trilby by George du Maurier. Like Mouji's Scenes of Bohemian Life, Trilby takes place in Paris's Latin Quarter, though its focus is on three English art students studying abroad. Trilby created a stereotypical and idealized representation of bohemian life for the next generation, and was one of the most popular books at the turn of the 20th century, particularly in America. According to literary critic Luc Sante, quote, Trilby affected the habits of American youth, particularly young women, who derived from it the courage to call themselves artists and bachelor girls, to smoke cigarettes and drink Chianti, end quote. Clearly, by the 20th century, bohemianism was no longer a lifestyle restricted to the Latin Quarter of Paris, and its original connection to the marginalized Romani people had been forgotten. Through literature and the arts, bohemia spread throughout the Western world. With its colorful array of residents including painters, playwrights, musicians, and poets, Manhattan's West Village became an American hotbed for bohemian culture. However, the term bohemia in America has a lesser known and older usage than that associated with the artistic life in the West Village. By the late 1850s, so within the same decade of La Vie de Bohème's publication in France, a group of cultured esthete journalists in New York began referring to themselves as bohemians. The group was founded by Henry Clamp Jr. and had significant members such as Walt Whitman and Mark Twain. In fact, the most detailed first-hand account of these bohemian journalists comes from Mark Twain himself. During the Civil War, wartime journalists in general became known as bohemians, and that association still clung on for a few years after the war was over. Most fascinating to me is the connection between this journalistic sense of bohemian and the Bohemian Club. If you don't know about the Bohemian Club, it's a super-secret, super-elite fraternity based in San Francisco that brings together business leaders, politicians, and artists once a year to, you know, talk about big ideas and enact theatrical rituals in the woods. This is not a conspiracy theory. It's a real thing. Look it up. Anyway, the fraternity was originally founded by a group of West Coast journalists, a.k.a. Bohemians, hence the name of the Bohemian Club. From the latter half of the 20th century through today, words like beat, hippie, and hipster have come to designate different strains of bohemianism for different generations. Consequently, the catch-all term bohemian has become less prevalent. According to Google Ngram, which is a program that provides analytics about the frequency with which words appear in the literary corpus, the usage of the word bohemian is currently at an all-time low since its emergence in the mid-19th century. In addition to the evolution of terms for specific kinds of bohemians, this decline in the word's usage may also be due to the fact that society has become less infatuated with the glorification of the bohemian's stereotype of poverty, especially since many, though not all, self-identified bohemians over the centuries have not actually been poor.
If you look at prominent public figures who have identified as bohemian in the last two centuries, many of them actually come from middle and upper class families, which, from one point of view, is to say that they could afford to buy their way into a carefree lifestyle, an image of poverty. The term bobo, a portmanteau of the first two letters in bourgeois and bohemian, has emerged as a criticism of this subset of, shall we say, paradoxical bohemians. Regardless of this criticism, now that I have a better picture of how the word bohemian actually evolved as a common noun, I like the word a little bit less. Hopefully I've made clear that it's a culturally appropriated term deliberately lifted from a historically persecuted ethnic minority group. From a Celtic tribe living north of the Danube River to 20th century New York City, this episode has been one heck of a journey. I hope you had a great time and that you were able to follow this crazy thread. If you love the show, again, you can make a monthly contribution at patreon.com slash wordsforgranted, or you can become a member of Words for Granted on the Himalaya app. I also encourage you to leave a rating and review on whatever podcast player you use, because those really help the show grow and give me feedback about what I can do to make the show better. I'm on Twitter at, at wordsforgranted and Facebook as wordsforgranted. And you can email me directly with questions, comments, and concerns at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. All right. Have a great day. I'll catch you next time here at Words for Granted.